Hello, listeners. I hope you are loving this podcast as much as I do. Today, I get to interview another very special guest, Dr. Erin Carlquist, also known as the doctor's doctor. She's a board-certified dermatopathologist, super smart, who not only loves what she does in medicine, but has branched out and is super passionate about mentorship during medical and pre-medical training. Her website, DrAaronCarlQuest.com, has posts to inspire the bright pre-medical student and resources to guide and support those going through medical training. I am lucky to have graduated with her from Florida State College of Medicine and pick her brain today on mentorship during medical training and work-life balance and what that really means in medicine. So without further ado, Erin, how are you? Hi, I'm so good, Stephanie. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad we were finally able to get together, both of our busy schedules and kids. It makes it so hard. So thank you for being with me tonight. No problem. I'm so happy to be here. All right, Erin. So I think we'll start off, tell us a little bit about your journey and kind of starting maybe with the pre-med and and till today. Yeah, so I kind of went back and forth for a lot of college trying to figure out if I, I, I I stepped on campus my first day of orientation of undergrad as a pre-med and then I changed my mind, changed my major, went back and forth for a couple years in undergrad until I finally came back around to pre-med. And <laughs> I ended up um, applying to medical school through more than one application cycle, which happens so often, but I ended up going, um, once I got the MCAT score that I really wanted, I went to Florida State where I was going to for undergrad, where we went to together and um, just had a really amazing experience there. It's funny because I ended up in a specialty that is not necessarily what's common from coming out of Florida State <laughs> College of Medicine because it's so primary care oriented as we right. know. Right. And But I went into medical school thinking that that's a doctor is a family medicine doctor or a pediatrician. You know, I didn't know that much about subspecialties. And so I had every intention of going into something more primary care, but my path kind of me elsewhere obviously but I'm so happy to be in pathology and doing derm path like I am now it's wonderful so how exactly you said you kind of bounced around as a pre-med what um, inspired you really at the end of the day to go into medicine because I have a feeling that a lot of pre-meds out there listening um, are kind of contemplating this at the moment I know actually my brother-in-law is sort of bouncing around with being a pre-med right now and toying with the idea of medical school. He loves science. You know, he he thinks it's just so interesting. Um, But for you, sort of what sealed the deal? So I think that, I think a couple of things played in my my kind of indecisiveness. My, the first thing was that I did know, like you're saying, like I loved the science of it. I loved the pathology, which I didn't know that that's really what I loved <laughs> right. back then. And just the learning about disease processes and all kinds of cancer and what they can do to the body, I just thought was so fascinating. And I loved learning about it. I loved being in the setting of, um, like in the hospital, you know, some people hate being in the hospital, but doctors like, we love being in the hospital, you know? 
And so I always had those feelings growing up that like, this is where I feel like I fit, you know, but I wasn't sure exactly where that was supposed to be. But I, I guess, I guess I, I wasn't sure where, where I was supposed to be mostly because I figured out at this point that I think I had a lot of imposter syndrome that was playing. Um, so much. So, and I didn't know, I didn't have a name for it back then. And I just thought, you know, I, I'm the first, um, I have an uncle who, um, has married into the family. You know, he married my, my dad's sister. He is a doctor, but other than that, nobody else in our family, especially in my generation of the family has on either side says ever done anything like become a doctor and not even very many people in medical care at all so it was very much like uncharted territory (laughs) and I was so it kind of contributed even more to like what why am I doing this like why what am I trying to do you know like everyone in my family is in business or a teacher or something and so I kept going back though and like being drawn back to it and um but it was really imposter syndrome that was like what are you doing? Like, you don't know, you don't know why you're, you, you don't really deserve to be here. Like you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. You, it's such a long road. Like, you know, barely anything about this path. <laughs> so, Absolutely. And I yeah. think that so many people feel that way. I know, especially females, um, you know, mm-hmm. we just constantly don't feel like we are, might be good enough. We question Absolutely. it. Or, do we have what it takes? Of course you hear the horror stories, you know, as a pre-med, oh, you're never going to have a life. You're you never going to be able to raise your kids. You're not. You don't have what it takes to stand up. You know, for 12 hours. I know. I certainly heard those <laughs> things. Um, and then I heard the flip side too. You know, and and I think you have to, as your own individual, um, sort of figure out like what exactly is true and and or what can you deal with that's possible. Um, yeah. Do you agree? Sometimes you don't know until you're in yeah. it, though. And that's yeah. what an interesting thing about medicine is that like you can get experience shadowing and stuff and you can know that you like you like this but it, there's so much that you don't really know how it's going to be until you're really in it and that's kind of scary and that's like a lot of the intimidation factor i think with just the unknown of going into a career wanting to become a doctor and especially like you said as a woman i actually that reminded me that one of the times that I switched my major was, this is kind of embarrassing and sad now thinking back, I wanna like shake myself and be like, what the heck were you thinking? Because the reason that I changed majors again or changed paths, um, career paths again, as a third year, second or third year um, in college, was because my boyfriend's father made a comment to me and was like, oh no 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 why would you want to go to medical school you don't want to become a doctor that type of thing and Mm -hmm. I was like okay maybe I shouldn't what am I doing again you know like you like spiral down the whole thing again like what am I doing why am I trying to do this what is like I don't deserve to be here I don't know what I'm getting myself into and then I said oh okay that's when I changed and I thought maybe I would maybe I wanted to do something in medicine but I actually for about a year thought that I would pursue pharmacy school thank the lord i didn't because pharmacy pharmacology was like my worst 
class. Oh my gosh, it's all memorization. Yeah. Well, I think you're a disaster. (laughs) Well, you're meant to be where you're supposed to be, and I think when you're young and impressionable, especially in those early twenties, trying to kind of figure out how to stand on your own two feet, let alone figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life, it's very daunting. And I think. Um, it's easy to listen to people that are talking in your ear. And so that's why I think it's so important to have um, some quality mentors. And I think that would be my next question to you is, did you have a mentor early on or were you aware of these mentorship opportunities with perhaps people that were in medicine um, uh, other than maybe just your shadowing opportunities that could kind of help steer you um, in either direction? Yeah. So the quick answer is really no. I don't have, even through most of medical school and into a little bit of residency, I can't say that I had like at least a strong female mentor. That was a female that I saw in medicine as a doctor succeeding in their career, succeeding in their personal life, you know, doing what the type of living the type of life that I envisioned myself to live. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that for years, you know, and I didn't, I definitely as far back as pre-med definitely did not have any contact with any really physician or female physician that I could call like a mentor. It wasn't until I did have a mentor that um, I worked for right before I had just gotten into medical school when I started working at a dermatology, a local dermatology office. And my boss there is a dermatologist became one of my mentors, um, which kind of led me into dermatopathology eventually because I really enjoyed that area. But um, but he was a male, you know, so I still like lacked that female um, figure that I was able, that I couldn't find that I was like wanting I wanted something, you know, to be able to model my life after. And I couldn't, right. I couldn't find that at that point. To say that you would be okay at the end of the mm-hmm. rainbow. Like you were going to make it and turn and like out just fine. it's possible to do, you know. Absolutely. You hear stories like, at least I did throughout um, undergrad and medical training. Like while you're pursuing this very, you know, like you said, daunting, intimidating type of career path for a woman. And I don't have any mentors really, and especially not women mentors. And then any stories that you hear about, at least for me at the time, about women in that career, it was like, oh, well, yeah, they're a doctor, but they got divorced or they're a doctor, but there's something, you know, there was always a but. And I don't know if that was just me, but it was terrible. Like every time I would hear about somebody, it would be like there was some type of like limiting factor that was like they didn't, they weren't quite there yet you know and I don't know if that was just a result of how difficult you know even like 10 years ago things had been in that generation of women physicians and I'm sure like they were all amazing people and I don't think that there's anything you know about them that they you know that um makes them less you know worthy or anything like that like but I think that those are the stories that I heard I think it was a very like intimidating time to try to navigate on pretty much on your own yeah no I think it's really really hard and kudos to you for navigating it on your own because I think looking back um I did I did have some mentors not not female mentors but I I did have some really good mentors um that sort of helped me through 
not necessarily on questions of if I would be able to do it as a woman, but um, just like the normal run-of-the-mill pre-med question. So it got me through at least. Um, but like you, I think I figured out all the other stuff on my own or um, between some short questions with uh, those ahead of me. And so yeah. I wanted to ask you, you know, is this what you think um, prompted you, is that kind of experience as a pre-med and going into medical school, um, what drove you to sort of become the doctor's doctor and sort of give back? Yeah, so um, one thing about the doctor's doctor, I don't know if everybody realizes this, but that term is something that's applied to pathologists in general as being like, the person that most clinicians go to to get you know the diagnosis to then them go back to their patients and continue to treat their patients with whatever that diagnosis is and that's kind of how um they've been referred to in history i guess and um i thought it was really kind of a neat way to apply it to what i'm doing as a mentor um you know kind of being the doctor overseeing the future doctors and trying to um to give them uh, motivation and inspire them to pursue the type of life that they just you know dreamed of when they wanted to become a doctor and know that it's possible and that things are hard and you know just kind of walk them through the process and that is absolutely what motivated me to get here because i know that there's all sorts of people that do have um you know family members and close uh, mentors that they become connected with uh, throughout the process, which is wonderful, but a lot of people don't. And I think that especially women in medicine, we have so many different elements to deal with and overcome and navigate and figure out how this is going to work and what this might look like. That's just a big question mark to a lot of people. And I want to, I think that I would have had a lot, a, a lot more, um, I think I would have avoided a lot of heartache right, and sure. stress, yeah. you know, if I oh, would have had stress, that. Right. And so I want to be able to do that for other people. Yeah. What do you think makes a good female mentor? I mean, what um, questions have you received from some of your mentees that they seem to really be interested in? Oh, so many people, I think the most common question is people that are not, have, um, that are not like a traditional um, applicant that have taken, you know, a year or more off. So they're like usually mid twenties or something like that asking like, is it too late? It's, it's over for me, right? Like I'm never going to be able to do both things like to become a doctor, like my passion and my dream, you know, and my life goal, but also my other life goal of having a family one day and being able to do both things. Like it's not possible, right? You know, and they come to me like posing it like that. And I have to tell them, I say, you know, I, my belief is that, no, it's totally possible. Go for it. Like if this is where your heart is at and you absolutely want to become a doctor with your entire being, then you have to go for it. In my opinion, is it going to be easy? Absolutely not. Like, obviously not. It's not easy for anybody at any point, no matter where you're starting from, that's going to become a doctor, whether you want to have a family or not, or whatever your circumstances, it's never going to be easy. But I think that it's possible to do. It's, you just have to be aware of the fact that it's going to look different for you than it's going to look for somebody else that is starting a family 
in their late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s, whatever it is, when you are in training or medical school or wherever you're at already in attending and you have children and you start a family, that's going to always look different than somebody who is a teacher or a, you know, in business or whatever, you know, there's always different circumstances right. that you have you to can't measure around. yourself up, right? No. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's just, you can't compare the two and it's doable, but is it going to be exactly like somebody else's experience as a parent? And it's not going to be, that doesn't mean that it's wrong or that you can't do it or that it's not going to be as good as somebody else's parenting experience or experience creating it and, um, you know, nurturing your family. Like you can absolutely do it. It's just going to look Yeah, you know, I spoke with Wendy Chen, Dr. Wendy Chen, um, a few podcasts ago, and Mm -hmm. I found it so interesting because she um, has a completely different take. I mean, she wants this family life, you know, and and knows that, you know, sort of medicine and surgery have sort of prolonged that as a possibility at this time. And, um, you know, how she's, if if you go back, she's, you know, frozen her eggs and all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it just looks so different for everybody. And I think what... I questioned myself when I was at the juncture of starting a family was, um, you know, while we're on this topic, was, um, you know, for, let's say, 30 years, I was working towards one goal. And that goal was to be a surgeon, right? That was my goal. But in the back of my mind, the other 50% of myself was wanting to be a mom and a wife and have that life. Because at the end of the day, when I retire... (laughs) at whatever time that's going to be, I mean, you know, I will only have that. And and really at the end of the day, family and your kids, that's all you have. And that's what keeps Mm -hmm. you going. That's what makes you a good surgeon, in my opinion. So that's what kind of fueled me to say, you know what, it's okay. I can do this, you know, and, and then also you just kind of have to just, I just found like, you have to just throw up your hands to the, to the people that, you know, you're going to get so much for, for the people listening, you're going to get so many naysayers and people that kind of you know behind your back might say something about you know being family oriented or whatnot you just have to know what's important to you know your own values and just go with it I mean I think that that's truly um an advice for a female going through this um and it is 100% doable and you can do it well um, for what sure. does anybody uh, like talking about naysayers and people that are like, oh, well, you're weaker because for some reason, because you want to have a family or whatever they might say. But like, how does it benefit anybody by you listening to those people? You know, like it doesn't benefit that they don't it doesn't change their life at all. You know, like they're not influenced really by you having a family. You know, they're probably in a program or a situation with you for a couple years and then they're not going to be around you anymore. But like that's something, some huge, like 50% at least of like what you want to do with your life. And you're going to let somebody's comment, you know, like it's so right. easy to do, but it's, it's just going to make you, I, in my opinion, I think that it's going to make you a, like an unhappier person. <laughs> you know, you might be resentful. You might become jaded and like that type of doctor earlier, burnout, all those things can come from listening to people like that and making a decision based on other people's opinions, you know? So I totally think that listening to your own heart is the right decision to make for everybody, everyone in your life and yourself, obviously, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Listen to your heart. 
Um, you've given so much advice already, but if you could um, think of like one piece of advice that you have for a female um, in medical school, what would what would that be? That one piece of advice. I think the best one piece of advice. Oh, there's so many. I think that probably the best, the thing that I wish I would have done and would have um, been told earlier on, whether I would have listened, I don't know, but is that you can, and this is one of my favorite sayings ever. I actually wrote a whole blog post about it recently, which um, I can tell you, you can um, share that if you would like, but um, it is that you can do anything, which we hear all the time, right? People like, Mm -hmm. I mean, your parents are encouraging when you're growing up, you know, you have a good family situation. They probably told you that. So we hear hear that over and over again. And especially people that are like real gunners and go-getters that can become doctors, like, yeah, I can do anything, but you can't do everything. So you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And I don't think I was ever told that. Maybe I was told that and I just didn't listen. But I had this mentality for such a long time that I can do anything and everything is even better. Like the more things I do, that must be mean that the better I'm doing. And well, right. that actually otherwise it's a back. sign of weakness, right? Yeah, that and the, but that held me back a mm-hmm. lot over the years and caused a lot of, you know, struggle through my studies and just through balancing, trying to balance things. And um, I think that taking things one day at a time and knowing that prioritizing what is most important and knowing that you can do anything, but you can't do everything. You definitely can't do everything at the same time. And that medical school is a season. And yeah, it's hard to look, especially with like social media. (laughs) It's so easy to look around and be like, oh, but this person's doing this, they're on vacation and wherever. And I'm sitting here in a library still for the third year you know, in a row. And it's so easy to want to do all the things and get involved with everything and go, you know, a lot of it's good, positive things to like take on leadership roles and do all that sort of stuff. But it's good in, you know, small doses. And too, right. Don't too much is always too bad. <laughs> right. Yeah. Too much of anything is bad. So right. I think well, that I think... that's my best advice and something I wish that I would have taken to heart sooner. I probably heard it earlier on, but I don't remember hearing it and really taking it to heart until I was like a third year resident. <laughs> which was pretty late in life. I was like 30. (laughs) So I wish I would have heard it earlier. Yeah, it's funny because if you, when you guys interview for residency and fellowships and even jobs, you know, one of the questions is always, what's your biggest weakness, right? Mm -hmm. And we all say the same thing. And it's, I try to do too much mm-hmm. and I can't do it all well. Well, guess what? It's so true. Yeah. And yeah, it's sort of a wishy-washy way to make your weakness into a positive. But it's really true because you can't do it all well. And you're not doing anybody a service by being just marginally there for, right. for one thing and not completely there. And, you know, yeah. I don't know about you, but I can't be 100% good at 15 different tasks and we're women and we can multitask and we're good but you know there's a point there's a limit and so I totally echo what you say because I think that it's just 100% one of the 
the biggest lessons I wish I had learned early. And like you, I think it probably bit me bit me in the behind probably around my third year of residency. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, dang it, I just lost track of what I was going to say. But absolutely, I think that, that trying to do too much. Um, oh, I know what I was going to say. So I think that it, it, it's so obvious when you get to a certain point, like there's a certain tipping point. And for people that who are real um, achievers, like people that go to medical school to become doctors, like that tipping point is pretty high. Like you can do a lot before that tips over. But I think if there's anything that sh- that proves to you that you can't do everything, <laughs> it's medical school <laughs> or residency, you know, like that, that's what's going to push you over the edge. You know, you could probably have lived life for all your years and done every single thing you could think of, but but trying to balance medical school or residency while also having that mentality is what really pushes you over the edge. And then you realize how you are just being mediocre at so many things instead of being like outstanding at a couple things. And that's what really success is like being able to narrow down the things that are highest priority to you in order to be uber successful at those things because i mean who cares about being like pretty good at a lot of stuff like we all want to be like really good at at least something so especially when you're want to be probably good at if i had to list two things it would be being a mom and being a doctor like those are the two most important things if i could be really good at those things then i'm good you know yes yes and I think that this is a good segue to sort of work-life balance. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, what does, I guess, work-life balance mean to you? Because I think it means something different to everybody. Yeah, and there's so much talk these days, which, like, I kind of am on board, but not maybe 100% about how work-life balance, like, doesn't exist. And I kind of get that. But I then again feel like, but maybe it sort of does, like, in a sense. It depends on how you interpret it, I guess. So, I think that work-life balance to me means that you're able to incorporate your work as well as things outside of work in a way to, to be balanced in a way that you're able to be successful at the things that matter most to you. And like, it doesn't like mean that that has to be a certain way or be, can be composed of specific things. It can be whatever it means to you, but to me, that's being good at my work, being good at being a doctor, always working on being better at that. And also at the same time, being a really good wife and mom and friend and working on, you know, my side projects that I'm working on now, something that means something to me and um, is something that I continue to grow and learn about and um, become more proficient at. And if I can do those things, like that's good work-life balance to me. But I think that when people say that it doesn't exist, I I think that they mean that you can't be doing every, both things at the same time. Like when you're at work, obviously you can't be taking care of your children and you can't be taking care of the house. You know, you're at work and you have to put all of your, I really believe that you have to put like a hundred percent of yourself where your feet are, you know, like wherever you are, is where you have to be putting your 100%. Yeah. And Don't you, you find it, Erin, so hard to do that? I find oh, it so, so hard. Yeah. I mean, it's such a challenge because I I don't know about you, but 
I'm still managing my house. I'm still managing. I mean, my husband is amazing, amazing, amazing. And he does so much. But like my mind is just always trying, like, what's the next thing I need to do with my son? And, you know, it's just always, I'm at work. I'm giving it 100%. But there's always a little foot that's still at home. I don't know if that's just being a female and, you know, (laughs) that just is something we have to deal with. We're made up different crazy hormones. But what do you think? I think that that's part of it, but I think that I'm, I'm working a lot on trying to figure that exact thing out these days and figuring out like what types of things to put in place in order to alleviate more of that kind of like lingering, like background, um, you know, self-talk of yes. like, oh, what do, what else do I have to be worrying about? Like, when am I going to the grocery store this week? When am I, right. you know? So we have whatever. shipped, we have a nanny, we have childcare. We yes. Have, right, and, and you know, housekeeper, right? You've got to have all of that support in place. So exactly, you can just kind of let it go. Yeah, so um, I think it's a to. constant pro- progress or progression of figuring out different elements that you can set up to try to ease as much of that as you can from yourself and then finding other ways to like something that I try to do as much as possible is which is different depending on what type of work situation you're in so as a pathologist I spend a lot of time sitting at my desk looking at cases and I get um, cases brought in from the lab as they get ready throughout the day. And I look at my slides and dictate my reports, you know, and go through the same kind of cycle as my cases come in all day long. And I tend to easily have my mind kind of wander because I don't have a patient sitting in front of me, you know, talking and having conversations with me, or I'm not like performing surgery, like (laughs) right there, you know? So it kind of allows for more of that to happen. I feel like, Mm -hmm. um, and I try to do things like, setting reminders on my phone for, you know, when is the time to check social media? When is the time to check email? Um, It's even setting times that like, okay, I'm going to work for this next hour, no interruptions, I'm going to shut my door, you know, those types of elements that I'm working and kind of playing around with to see like what allows my mind to kind of shut off (laughs) and just be working and let all the rest of it go, at least for like chunks of time. And I've kind of been finding that that seems to work pretty well for me. But like I said, like that's only helpful for people that are in certain work environments and it might not be helpful for somebody who's seeing patients in a clinic or working in an OR. So no, actually, <laughs> that's, I think that's, so far. That's, that's an amazing, amazing concept because I think it's so easy nowadays with the, with the, you know, in the palm of our hand, we've got the world, right? I mean, so, mm-hmm. so it's, you just, I think you have to, you're right, you have to disconnect for at certain little aliquots of time, you know, because otherwise, again, we're circling back. You can, you can't do everything yeah. and you can't, you can do it, you can do it all, but you can't do it well, right? So you've got to be able to focus your attention. And I think, especially as millennials, I'm going to say we're millennials. It makes me sad, but <laughs> we are millennials. Um, you know, we have a really, really hard time disconnecting. And I think that that not only not only goes for social media and emails and phone calls, but I think it goes with everything, especially being a mom and a wife and a, you know, and a, and a medical professional. I mean, you just have so much on your plate, but you've yeah. got to be able to, to focus. And so I think you bring a great point. I, I, I 
I um, I found myself doing that. It isn't as regimented as I'd like. I like to say that my OR time is the best time for me because I'm completely off, right? I mean, the only people that can get really right. I can talk to are pages True. from the floor and nursing staff with the, with an urgent call. So my OR time is sometimes my favorite time of the day, not only because I love what I'm doing, but but because I'm free from yeah. everything. I can't do That's anything so else. I can't plan anything at home. So it, it echoes what you're saying again. I mean, it's just so right on. And it allows you to maybe uh, be able to kind of keep that balance. Uh, yeah. Sometimes, I guess, work helps your work-life balance, right? <laughs> right. I think another uh, thing that I found really helpful recently, too, it's so hard as somebody like I've already said that likes to say I'm like a people pleaser I like to say yes to everything I've always wanted to do everything and I've tried to be really intentional about working into a lifestyle where I say no a lot more than I feel comfortable saying no (laughs) to things and it's just a it's a work in progress but it's something that um I think also helps a lot with that because the more things that you say no to and you take off your plate, the less you should be worrying about, so hopefully. So, you know, I am, I'm trying to implement some of that as well, which I think especially with busy moms is like a really good thing to do, like let some of that go. You don't have to do everything like we were saying in medical school or as a mom, whichever. Like You do not have yeah. to do it all. You can say no to stuff. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've, We've both probably been to umpteen lectures um, about having balance, work-life balance, and avoiding burnout. I know I personally have been mandated to go to like two mm-hmm. of those lectures at least a year. Um, I always find it funny. I kind of, I kind of giggle, right? Because I'm in surgery, and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, like huh, have a balance and training, yeah, whatever. But no, that really does exist, guys. You can have a balance, <laughs> but you know, the avoiding burnout part, I, you know. I think it's sort of understated and I wanted to ask you and this is getting gets gets a little deep but have you ever yourself felt like you were burnt out or close to burnout um ever had like those days or weeks or months or however long where you're just like oh my gosh like I you know they you know all the signs and symptoms I mean ever have you were you ever there I don't know if I I think the closest I probably ever got was for me, studying for board exams was the times that I would get closest to that because I, it's very draining for me as like an, and you might feel the same way as an extroverted type of person having to be isolated and by yourself and quiet all day long, studying for days and days and days at a time. And, but then knowing that you have no choice, you have to do this. <laughs> and that, especially in, um, in when I had a, well, when I took my um, anatomic and clinical pathology board exams at the end of my pathology residency, my son was, my first baby was 10 months old. So from like, oh, wow. From like seven months to 10 months old, you know, I was really like heavy studying because the APCP boards for pathology are just insane. It's two different board exams, like two days in a row. And it's it's pretty crazy. It's a lot of memorization, like more than I could have ever imagined. And it's like step one on steroids. And it, um, 
times two. Then. And you're doing it with a seven, a seven month old. It's like, so old. bad. And yeah, with a yeah. baby. And like, that was, that was probably my closest, but I've been, I've been very lucky where like, I, I have the further that I get, I think in when I'm not studying for a board exam, <laughs> the further that I get in my training, the more content and happy I've been in my career choice and in the things that I'm doing and in my ability to have a work-life balance, which has a lot to do, I think, with just being in pathology in general, because it allows for a lot more of that than in some other specialties, of course. <laughs> and so I was very blessed that I found that specialty and I love it. And especially now as when attending, like I just love my job. Like I have not had one day yet where I cannot say this for like residency or medical school, <laughs> but I've not had one day yet since I've been at my job where I'm like, oh, I have to go to work, you know, like oh, that's ever, amazing. like yeah. even in my head, like quietly, you know, in the back of my head, like never, nothing like that. And it's amazing. So, um, but I think that I've also worked more the last few years, you know, through residency and fellowship and now into my being an attending that I have been more and more intentional about finding things that are passions of mine and being able to like pull those things back into my life, things that I had like lost as I was going through medical training because it is so rigorous, at least in like medical school and beginning of residency um, for me. And um, I think that being a well-rounded person as much as possible, you know, kind of is what combats that for me personally. Yeah, it keeps you keeps you grounded, keeps you going. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think I think at, from time to time I would say about the same. I mean, there's been days where you know I felt like the world was crashing in, and you know, and then I always got through it. And then when I was on the right. always on the other side, I felt so accomplished. And I think that over time, you know it's like life hurdles, right? Every time you get through a hurdle, you're like, I'm a champion. I can do this. This is great. And, you know, then, it, you know, it rains again and you get through it. And, you know, each of those times you're like in your, your deepest of dark thoughts thinking, what am I doing? How am I here? Like, why am I here? And, th- and those thoughts do exist. Um, but you always come out on top. That, at least that's what I found. And I think as long as you're able to work through those moments, be well-rounded, know what your passions are. Like you said, um, you know, you can really get through it and it is tough. And, and every, every, every training program, every specialty is different. And there are, um, it's, it is a spectrum, you know, but that's not to say that, you know, one internal medicine program is, you know, this, this, you know, this internal medicine program is super easy. This is super, but they're, but you're still, everybody's handle stress different. You know, everybody mm-hmm. walks their own path. So it's hard to say, um, what's hard and, you know, but there, there are ways to, you know, if you're a person that, you know, needs to be outside, you know, more often than not, you know, or, or be with people or have patient interaction, those things all will have a, um, an impact on your passion at work. Right. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things, I think you get to burnout when like, there's no end point in sight. Like you are, are going through those hard times and then it doesn't, you don't find the other side, you know, like if you're studying for a board exam or whatever, like, you know, there's an end point and things get a little bit better, at least change or whatever after that. But I think that people get to burnout when it's just relentless and it's just like one after another, after another without any relief. 
and no end in sight. And that's when people get to that point of burnout. Because, yeah, I think there's, like you said, there's so much that you can gain from going through difficult times. And I have for sure uh, every single thing that's ever happened in your life. You know, you can think back and you'd be like, oh, wow, well, yeah, like something I gained something from that or I learned something from that or whatever. And but with burnout, it's like. But when am I going to learn my lesson? You know, like, I think this is very, it's just, you don't get to that point, at least not as quickly. And that sends you probably into, you know, a spiral of depression and, you know, all those sorts of things that make everything even worse. So, and I think that's when you need to say, like what you said, you know, this is a timeout. I need to stop. I need to refocus. I need to reevaluate what's important to me. And I need to say no. Exactly. And something needs to change. Exactly. So for anybody who's listening that, you know, is is within training or wherever you are that just feels like the world's crashing down on you, then maybe just kind of take a step back for a minute and, and figure out how you can reorganize it. Because at the end of the day, you know, you're nothing to your patients. You're nothing to your family. You're nothing to your friends. Um, if you can't be for yourself. So yep, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think lastly, just to wrap kind of it up, Aaron, what would you say if you could go back in time to that first semester of medical school, what would you tell yourself? Hmm, I would tell myself to keep an open mind and take everything literally one day at a time and absorb everything as it comes and just be in the moment. <laughs> I think that would be my best advice. And um, I think that I maybe I would have um, had a little bit different experience and maybe, um, I don't know. I don't know if that would have changed where I ended up, but I love where I am now. I probably would have ended up in the same place, but maybe I would have had a little more enjoyable time along the way. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's exactly, we, we did it the hard way. Yeah. You know, I think, I think, uh, Hindsight. So, it's, it's so it's so nice to be able to talk to you again. And I, I love what you're doing. And I think your website, y'all, if you want to go to it, it's at Um, You can see it in the bio um, with this podcast. But Um, I want to thank you so much for sharing your advice about mentorship and having a balance. You know, medicine is a super long road and it certainly helps talking to those um, who really already walked the path. So uh, as always, I want to thank, uh, thank you again. Thank you uh, so much for having me. It was so nice to catch up with you and I love your podcast. I'm so excited about the things that you're doing as well. So so glad to be here. Well, thank you everybody for downloading and listening to this podcast. And you can continue to follow the Stiletto Surgeon on iTunes and Stitcher for more important and fun discussions. You can follow me on Instagram at the Stiletto Surgeon or at stilettosurgeon.com to follow updates and blog posts. Um, please email me at sp at porousplasticsurgery.com if you have any questions or comments or ideas for future podcasts. Um, I'm always, always open. And until next time, have a great week. And thank you all very much.